is up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. Wednesday, back on Wednesdays, barely. <laughs> it's November 15th. This is episode 222, so we are rolling with the deuces today. Ryan Chapman joining us for more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall, parts unknown. He's going to hop on in the third segment to talk about recruiting. As uh, Brent Venables might say, we're on to BYU. But we need to recap the West Virginia game real quick, <laughs> right? Uh, what a bounce back, Ryan. We can uh, put a bow on it, close the book on West Virginia. But what a bounce back for the Sooners. Uh, 31-6 lead early in the or late in the second quarter and held on to win that bad boy 59-20. to Total dominance, um, complete performance by the Oklahoma offense, defense, and even a couple of special teams, although there was a special teams complaint. Yeah, other than that, it's like huge jolt on both sides of the football, right? Defensively, obviously, getting Danny Stutzman back is huge. He looked his typical self, even if he didn't have to play uh, every single snap. And alongside Kip Lewis, that looks like the linebacker duo that Oklahoma's going to rock with for certainly these last two games and whatever lies beyond, whether that be uh, Big 12 carnage or simply – uh, maybe an outside shot of New Year's Six Bowl. I think Oklahoma's in great spot with whatever happens, unless maybe OSU wins the Big Twelve, and then neither them nor Texas are going. Like I think that's how Oklahoma drops, like the Alamo. Other than that, they look like they're in a great spot for a New Year's Six game. So uh, I think you're going to see Stutzman and Kip Lewis, and you flip it over, and it just felt simple and easy on offense, right? Not a lot of bells and whistles. Just Oklahoma throwing the ball downfield, throwing it downfield often. Uh, getting great contributions from Gavin Sawchuck. And there's a lot of the things that felt like people were asking for, right? Don't go side to side, just attack vertically, run the football with both your running back and Dylan Gabriel. He picks up one, two, three, eight total touchdowns. Nice day at the office for him. So I think who the question is just going to be the rest of the way. Oklahoma's defense stay healthy enough that that's the unit you see. Yes. Then the defense should be in good shape to put in two strong performances. And then the offense is that the offense you get for the next two games? Is one of these ones this week is hitting the road to weather conditions that might be pretty fuzzy? Yeah. Um, where to start for me? Uh, are we that smart as make-believe football coaches where you, we say stop running east to west, stop with the jet sweeps, and they do it, and it works brilliantly? Is it is it that simple? Is it that is it that easy to be a football coach to see what's working on the field and to do it, to see what's not working on the field and to stay away from it? Is it that easy? Kelly Gregg would tell you so. Uh, I know I bring this up often, but old Kelly he has a saying that he will bring up probably once a week, and it's football's a simple game made complicated by coaches, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's almost like, hey guys, you picked five offensive linemen and just rolled with them and the running game came together, you stopped all the cute crap, and you stopped getting yourself off schedule, and because you're on schedule, you weren't having to go warp speed, and all of a sudden these false starts stop. Like, yes, yeah. I think it was that simple, which is why the fan base was ready to riot at the door of Jeff Levy, and I think it was all deserved for yeah. the Kansas game and, and for Bedlam. You know, you could say the same thing in Stillwater about Mike Gundy. Stop toying around with your quarterback. Stop experimenting and throw the best guy out there. They did it, and look what they did. Stop goofing around with your running backs. You know who's the best running back on your team. 
they did it and look what they did. Now, obviously that backfired in, uh, in Orlando 45 to three, they took the L there, but, uh, it, it is, it's not that complicated. Coaches really tend to overcomplicate things sometimes. Um, something that, uh, something that stuck out to me, a couple of numbers that I want to go through West Virginia, 10 of 31 passing. I didn't have that on my bingo card. That's really good. And it was good defenses. They, they ran it. They had some bad throws and some throwaways, but they ran into some good defense by Oklahoma finished with 330 yards of total offense on the flip side of that Oklahoma had 644 yards total offense. Like I said, complete beatdown, holistic football, complimentary, both sides. But I have a question. Has Gavin Freeman lost his confidence? Not just running the jet sweep out of bounds for a one-yard gain or a one-yard loss, but is, has that bled over now into his punt return game? He fumbled two punt returns. You cannot fumble a punt return. That is 40 yards for the other team and a change of possession that you just got to stop. You're just getting ready to get the ball back, and you hand it right back to him. That's the worst-case scenario other than like a pick six or something. Yeah, well, we, we've we seen him not make perfect decisions either earlier this year on when to field it versus when to let it bounce and go. It was very minor in the non-conference, didn't really hurt Oklahoma, but um, I'm just ready to see somebody else back there. Like I, The guy that I would go with hasn't been 100% healthy and he's been hobbled. He's been playing in a Peyton Bowen, but he hasn't been – like we've seen the protective boot for a week or two, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that might just need to hit a little reset button and, and get Gavin Freeman back into some spring and summer stuff to get that confidence back. Cause yeah, he's, he's not shown the ability consistently on those jet sweeps to just put his foot in the ground, go up field and decide when to go. And now the even the punting game, one of them hurt Oklahoma. One of them didn't, uh, but not, none of the punts he fielded after that looked confident either. And so, right. Uh, what whether it needs to be like people are going to roll their eyes at this, but when Lincoln Riley would just put somebody back there to fair catch it, the CD Lamb punt return unit, like that almost might be better for Oklahoma right now, just to stabilize for a couple of games, get in the off season, and uh, get that thing all sorted. Yeah, my first thought was Drake Stoops, Mister Reliable, right? Yeah. Go back there and catch the punt if you get in. If you if you have some space, get us five yards, get us ten yards. Uh, make a move and get us 15 yards. That's the way the coaching staff needs to approach maybe um, the punt return situation. Um, or, you know, you're onto something too with Peyton Bowen, electrifying in high school, absolutely positively electrifying in class 6A in Texas. So if you can do that there, you're probably going to have a chance to do it at Oklahoma. Well, especially when you look at like some of the other candidates, Stoops, he's your number one wide receiver right now. So I, I understand if there's some hesitation about yeah. leaving your best guy out there to get smoked. Same with like a Billy Bowman, who is very, very uh, explosive as well at Denton, uh, across town, um, same stadium, but all that. Uh, sa- best safety, don't want to get him out there, get smoked. Jill Farouk, your other big time wide receiver, don't want to get out there to get smoked. Okay, so if Peyton Bowen, if, if, if he's healthy, that would be the thing. Then uh, he's a guy that you've seen Oklahoma – Confident with Key Lawrence, confident Reggie Pearson, Robert Spears Jennings has come on. It's a little bit less of a risk if you throw him out there. And I mean, I just want to see that dynamic Peyton Bowen that you saw all the time in high school. That's got to translate. Everything else from his games translated to the college game. I don't see why his ability in the open field with the football would not translate for Oklahoma. 
Two more things for you on the West Virginia game from me. They both have to do with the Oklahoma offensive rushing game, the OU ground game. All right. Uh, first is Dylan Gabriel ran the football 11 times, picked up, uh, what was it, 50 yards and scored three touchdowns. Why do you think they didn't try that? I'm not talking about scrambling, running for your life. Why do you think they didn't? Why do you think they took him out? Remember the first like three weeks of the season, Ryan, it was Dylan Gabriel would run with the football and I'd be like, don't run your quarterback. You saw what happened to last year when he got hit in the head. He's not a great slider. He's been hit in the head several times, right? He got a concussion. He missed those two games. The the, the team went in the tank. I was a very big opponent of do not run Dylan Gabriel, right? Now I flipped. Now I've I've gone the other the other side of the coin and I'm saying if you're going to have a successful running game, he's got to be a major part of it. And they didn't do it against Oklahoma State. They did not do it. And I asked Jeff Levy that question in the post-game press conference. Was that there? Was that simply not there against Oklahoma State? And he said, no, it was there. We we did it. We we got what we liked out of it. I'm sorry, but I disagree. Well, as we know, Jeff Levy just delivers an electric press conference. It's always very <laughs> insightful. He does a great job. He really respects that whole process and answers those questions to the best of his ability. We know yeah. that. Uh I think that like against Kansas, they got such tunnel vision with Tawi Walker because uh, they were having a lot of success there that it was almost like, why do we need to run with Dylan Gabriel when you can just uh, line it up, block it up and fire off the football with Tawi Walker against Oklahoma state. I, I do not know what, what, what was happening there. I think a lot of it might've been that they got off schedule so quickly. It felt like so many yeah. times with false starts and things like that, that, they immediately started looking instead of going, hey, on second and 14, trying a, a quarterback draw play when you think that there might be a pass situation. They were just throwing the ball downfield. And when they were running the quote-unquote normal offense, they were having a ton of success. I, if I had one little like critique of – and this is both from Oklahoma State and West Virginia. It's something that we've talked about in the press box. Like when they get to the plus side of the field at like the 40-ish yard line um, – and it, it's clear that they're in fourth down territory and it's like third and seven. It feels like they always run a play just hoping to get to fourth and two. And I'm like, hey, you're allowed mm-hmm. to pick up the third right. and seven. Like you can yep. run. And that's where like I think Dylan Gabriel in the quarterback run game is huge. And I think we saw one of those plays against West Virginia. It was a third and medium, third and long. Dylan takes it. He ran off to the left. I think he was going to the south end zone. Um, and he took it off the left side and he picked up a first down for Oklahoma. And that's where I was just like, look, whether you're a giving yourself a chance with guys rolling downfield and he just truly tucks it or B it's like a design run. I think that one was a just read option pull. Um, that's been a really, really good part of the running game. And look, I, I know that they've basically said like Brent Middles didn't say this, but he said it, that Jackson was going to red shirt unless Dylan Gabriel gets hurt pretty much like that. That's the, yep. you have to assume that's the, break glass i don't know if it's in their mind like hey we got this far don't need to burn the red shirt or whatever but like just let dylan run he's a physical runner he doesn't often put himself in bad spots except for like a really 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 late slide but he usually is good about or when he tries to run over somebody yeah that fall forward where he like absorbs the contact a little bit which looks worse but is often better than a late slide where you open yourself up to a targeting that is concussed all that stuff so I don't know is the better question, but like nothing about this offense has been picture perfect. Uh, there's always something that is working that just goes away randomly. And I think that's part about being a young offensive coordinator. Uh, Dylan ran the ball, officially ran the ball one time for seven yards, 
against Oklahoma State. Sorry, one time for a loss of seven yards, and it wasn't really a run. It was a, I've got to get on this fumble. Wasn't it? I think he, no, because they lost both of those fumbles. No, that it was the uh, it was the third down, or no, it was the fourth down play after they ran the naked bootleg that oh, was unsuccessful. Right. Yep. Uh, and he had to just basically clock that or, yep. or scuff it into the turf. It was when the uh, the block on the backside was whiffed. Not going to name names, but we've covered mm-hmm. it. And uh, and then he just had to eat a sack, basically, on fourth down. Yeah, so um, the running game, the OU running game goes better when Dylan Gabriel's running the football. Uh, Jeff Levy said, the, the actual quote, I looked it up, there were no issues with him. When I asked him, why didn't you use him more like that against Oklahoma State? There were no issues with him. That's his answer. So... Uh, good news is Jeff Levy will never hear this because he said he does not hear, does not listen, does not pay attention to anything, right? Uh, I'm not sure I buy that. But uh, anyway, you've got a quarterback who enjoys running the football and can run the football and, frankly, needs to run the football. So I think he's figured it out. I think that West Virginia game allowed him to figure it out. The other thing I want to talk about, Ryan, was Gavin Sawchuk for 135 yards. Um and one carry for Tawi Walker for minus two yards. I got a question on uh, YouTube, I think it was. YouTube comments asked me, is Tawi in the doghouse or is he still hurt? And I think the answer is probably a little bit of both, maybe. I I think if he was in the doghouse, they wouldn't have used him like they did in Lawrence, and they wouldn't have given him that handful of carries in the third quarter in Stillwater where he was clearly hobbled. Like if you're in the doghouse and hobbled, like you're probably just not getting that opportunity. I, I truly think it's more just, he's not a hundred percent. He can't cut. He said it to us right after the Kansas game, right? That he couldn't cut because of the lower body injury. And so he wanted to let somebody else who could cut ha- have an opportunity. And so uh, especially you pair that with Sawchuck running as good as, as he ran uh, on Saturday, and, and there wasn't really a need to go to anything else when Dylan's tearing it up on the ground, Sawchuck is is humming. That's kind of all of the rushing, all the carries you needed because uh, Oklahoma was having great success just throwing the ball downfield. Yeah. Once you get the passing game going, that op- that running game really opens up. I know that sounds backwards, but it's true in Oklahoma's case. They hit a couple of downfield passes, and all of a sudden those safeties and linebackers start backing up a little bit. And uh, boom, you can run the football. 221 yards on the ground, 5.3 per carry. Pretty good night for the Sooners. All right, let's. Uh, that's a bow on West Virginia. Let's move on to BYU. We'll talk. We'll break down the BYU preview in the next segment. Um, what I want to break down right now, what I want to talk about, dive into is the Big Twelve Conference leadership, lack of. No direction. 14 teams. No more round robin. Hey, do you think we might need a tiebreaker? I don't know. What do you guys think? You think we might need a tiebreaker? Eh, maybe. What if two teams finish tied? What if three teams finish tied? That's never going to happen. Just write some stuff down. Maybe we can use it uh, in pencil in case we need to erase anything later. <sighs> Big 12, what are you doing? Here's where we stand right now. Texas is currently two games left for everybody. Texas is currently in first place. There's four teams currently tied for second. They all have two losses, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Iowa State. Um, Let's just put it to bed this way, Ryan. 
OU makes the championship game if, number one, of course, they have to win out. They have to win their last two games. Number two, they can get in the championship game if Iowa State beats Texas this week in Ames. Iowa State is on a roll, but they're seven-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Longhorns this week, the Longhorns who just lost their running back for the season to an ACL injury. Hmm. Seven-and-a-half-point favorite, no running back. Not no running back, but, you know, they don't have their starter. Who Jonathan Brooks is really good, by the way. They can also, oh, you can also make the championship game if Texas loses next Friday night at home to Texas Tech. Probably not going to happen, but, you know, stranger things in this league have happened. Uh, and they Iowa also State have to beat K State. And that's like, what's that? And Iowa State would have to beat K State. Right. They also need Iowa State to lose to Kansas State. No, beat Kansas State. To beat Kansas State. Sorry, said that yeah. wrong. Texas um, loses to Tech. Iowa State beats Kansas State. That's Iowa like State the, beats K State. The most inside straight, as far as yes, the least simple path. Or if Oklahoma State loses to either Houston this week, they're a six and a half point favorite against Houston down there in Houston. Or next week at home in Stillwater to BYU. So there's your scenario. Oklahoma has a pretty clear path to get in. But they need some things to happen. They got to take care of their own business. And frankly, the way Texas is going these days and the way Iowa State is going these days, I don't know how Texas is a seven and a half point favorite. If that game shakes out like it looks like it could, OU just needs to win its two games and they're in the Big 12 championship. Crazy. Yeah, I I think we were talking about this on radio. I think this is a huge, huge weekend for Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers. Yep. We all know what that Iowa State defense wants to do, how they're constructed, drop back, make you dink and dunk down the field. Yep. If the Quinn Ewers from last year rolls up to Ames, he's going to complete 50% of his passes, throw two picks, and Iowa State's going to have a great chance to win that game. If Quinn Ewers, who we've seen a lot this year, the patient guy, the one that's happy to just take what the defense gives him, understand, hey, I'm not going to hit four just absolute nukes to Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell, and I'm going to have to use – Mitchell behind the line of scrimmage and Sanders, then I think Texas should be fine. Um, as Iowa State, their offensive linemen have been very keen to point out they've won four of five against Texas and Ames or something like that. So it's been a spot that Texas has struggled with, but I'd like to remind Iowa State, Texas has gone to Tuscaloosa, an actual massive stadium, massive atmosphere, and like they handled that just fine. So I don't think anyone's quivering in their little space boots about going to Jack Trice at night. Like that's not a thing. Uh, so it's just going to be on how well does Quinn Ewers play. It, it'll be interesting. The easy thing for Oklahoma is, you know, maybe not turn the ball over six times between their trips to Lawrence and Stillwater yeah. and not have five trillion false starts and win one of those games and not worry about it. But uh, yeah, it, it's pretty simple. And the, I think the headline takeaway from the whole hubbub this week has been Oklahoma did not get screwed by this clarification slash nope. change a, nope. as it was going to stand in a three-way tie between OSU, OU and K-State. The way it was written since August, Kansas State would have won that tiebreaker. Now, the sensical way where OSU beat both those teams head to head, so they should just go through, OSU win the tiebreaker. So, like, OU would not have been the beneficiary either way. It just shows you how stupid and poorly run this conference is that you had a Big 12 official clarify to the Oklahomans, Scott Wright, on Saturday that, like, yes, everyone's reading this correctly. If OSU, Oklahoma, and K-State are tied, you throw out the head-to-head -head and K-State yeah. would go, only to come back on Tuesday and say, 
you all have been reading this wrong the whole way. This was always <laughs> the rule when you yourself said it wasn't that way on Saturday. It Brett Yormark doesn't know a thing about football. He's right. shown it to us every time. He said I'm a basketball guy. And his football czar also doesn't know a thing about football, apparently. No, it doesn't know a thing about tiebreakers. That's that's the joke of this thing. Here's the here's the tiebreaker for a multi multiple team ties. In the event of a tie between more than two teams, the following procedures will be used. After one team has an advantage and is, quote, seated, all remaining teams in the multiple multiple team tiebreaker will repeat the multiple team tiebreaking procedure. Check. If at any point the multiple team tie is reduced to two teams, the team uh, the uh, two team tie breaking procedure can be will be applied. Okay, got it. Here we go. Number one, head to head, parentheses, best cumulative win percentage in games among the te- the tied teams. Close parentheses. If not, every tied team has played each other. Comma, go to step two. Uh, what? <laughs> there's a there's a typo in there from the jump. Regard before the season, what? that sentence made no sense. No sense whatsoever. Um, I feel like I'm reading instructions on how to put together a cabinet that I bought at Lowe's. <laughs> and I want to say, have you have you tried doing this in English? Because what you wrote there does not make sense to me. I speak English; it doesn't make sense to me. And then they go into multiple um, possible procedures and ties and all that other crap. I'm not going to read all that. Um, but but the other tiebreakers, total number of wins, this is the fifth one, total number of wins in a 12-game season. Okay. I thought we were already had discussed that this was a tiebreaker and that everybody's going to be tied. So including conference, non-conference, there's an FCS clause in there that you can only play one FCS, only count one win against FCS. Dude. Barry Trammell, he got the other end of what of what Scott Wright, Scott Wright got, and Barry wrote at uh, sellout. He wrote, uh, "I was told that because OU and K State did not play each other, OSU sweep of the Sooners and Wildcats was nullified. So K State didn't play OU, OU didn't play K State. You can't say." Everybody's tied. Every this this triangle. Everybody's exactly the same because these two didn't play, right? So you got to throw it out. All right, but the fact remains, Oklahoma State did beat OU and K State. So Trammell says, at least I had confirmation. Then Monday, I was told by the same Big Twelve source <laughs> that our Saturday night communication caused further discussion in the conference office leading to the clarification, which is scheduled to be presented to the Big 12 athletic directors in a conference call on Wednesday. So they had that conference call today. Apparently it's the same conference call they have every Wednesday following the uh, the college football playoff announcement, the rankings. Um, Ryan, help me try to make sense of this if you can. Um, this is See what you think of this. This is my usual plea for every game, not every game, there were there were games occasionally that my daughter was playing soccer and I would appeal to the soccer refs from time to time. Are you seriously trying to cheat here or are you just that incompetent? I think it's incompetence in the Big 12's case. I think we've addressed that. Startling incompetence. Well, first off, they need a dictionary. This is not a clarification. A clarification would be like, this is what is written 
This is what it means. Yes. When you have one result and then you say, actually, upon further discussion, we have a different result. That is called a change. Right. And changing something, again, this doesn't hurt or help OU in either way. Like, I don't care. I think we would all agree that like this is what makes the change is what makes the most sense. On the field, Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma. On the field, Oklahoma State beat K-State. Oklahoma State should go through if those three, three teams are tied. That makes right. all the sense in the world to me. Yep. But also, like, you can't change stuff 11 weeks into the season just because you realize how stupid you were at the start of the year. So, I, yep. again, I think that this is just – I hope for this – like, people in Manhattan should probably be upset because things have been changed. The rules have been changed on Kansas State three-quarters of the way through the uh-huh. thing. This is the right outcome if it ends up in this tie. It just shows you that whoever is in charge of this process in the Big 12 office is an absolute idiot. And you can't, like, if you don't know for sure that that's the correct thing, don't tell a reporter that's right before you go, hey, let me just double check and triple check and fly this up the flagpole and back down, because otherwise you get this mess. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not um, that hard. It's, I hate to say it, they're, they're, these people know who they are in the Big 12 office. Uh, there's been some really good people over the years, some people who I call, consider friends, and I'm not pointing the finger at them. But some of the hires that have been made, uh, some of the decisions that have been that have come from those hires over the years, just completely pants the Big 12 in the eyes. You know, how, you know how hard the SEC is laughing today? You know how hard the Pac-12 is laughing? Pac-12's got problems, right? Pac-12's got issues, and they're going, ha, at least we didn't do that. <sighs> Big 12, this is why this is why it's been tough for you to keep teams like Nebraska and Colorado and Missouri and Oklahoma and Texas A&M and, and Texas. They're, it's just, do we need to pile on at this stage? No, we don't. Um, Oklahoma has two games left in their Big 12 history, and they'll be gone, and you and I will be covering an SEC team after this. Maybe three, right? Maybe three. Maybe three. I I think it's an important historical footnote. The Pac-12 is suing each other right now, and it's had a better (laughs) news cycle than the Big 12. I just – they're suing each other. The Pac-12 office is siding with 10 schools that are leaving because they have no clue with what Washington State – Oregon State and Washington State tomorrow might be like, we're absolving the Pac-12, we're yeah. chopping up $200 million, F you guys. And they have had a steadier week than the Big 12. And the Big 12 is just talking about tiebreakers that should have been set before the season. Right. The, the Pac-12 right now, there's a, like a bony, rotted hand coming out of the grave, right? And they're still having a better week than the Big 12. Shall we move on and preview the BYU game? Let's do it. Let's do that next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. If you guys want to follow our work, um, 
all underscore Sooners on Twitter. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan is at R- underscore Ryan Chapman. Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. And Ross is at Ross Lovelace. Check out those guys on Twitter. Uh, the website is allsooners.com. We're a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Don't forget, you're going to love this. This segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. How much of your retirement savings are you willing to lose? Would you say all of it, some of it, or none of it? Hmm? Well, if you're nearing retirement, or maybe if you're already in retirement, the math and the science have proven that a few bad market years could wipe away the kind of retirement that you dreamed of. But... There is a way to safely grow your money and not have any market risk. You can even turn your savings into guaranteed lifetime income. At Infinite Asset Advisors, not only do they help you plan for retirement, but they can also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. They are experts in financial planning, retirement planning, even estate planning. Just visit their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more or fire an email off at those guys. Team at InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com. If you want to do it the old-fashioned way and just dial them up on the telephone, area code 512-710-0130. 710-0130. Simple as that. We're on to BYU, Ryan. Diving in, uh, Hoof. <laughs> I'm very excited about this trip that's upcoming. I'm very excited to knock on wood appear to have regained some health uh, so I can go on this trip because that was very touch and go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. A historic, two historic programs matching up for only the third time. The first time on one of these teams home turf. That's about it as far as the excitement. BYU is just not good and I I think they might have packed it up and in Hmm. this year. Yeah. I'll give you some stuff. Maybe uh, maybe you'll change your mind. BYU, I think, is 18th in the country in um, all-time wins or something like that. Maybe it's in the last 50 years. The Lavelle Edwards era, okay, I uh, grew up in Alaska, and we got a lot of West Coast games. And so when a team is good, that's kind of the default, whoever. This is back in the day when not everybody was on TV, right? So we got a lot of BYU games. One reason was they scored 50 or 60 points a game and threw for four or 500 yards a game, and they were fun to watch. So I grew up a little bit, a little bit on BYU college football. So I'm a big admirer. I love the color scheme, love the white helmets, love Lavelle Edwards passing game. All you got to do when you say BYU hist- history, to tie it in, there's a bridge between Lavelle Edwards and what we see today. It's called Mike Leach. Mike Leach coached under Lavelle Edwards. Picked up a lot of that stuff, the BYU offense, and a lot of his tendencies became what we see today, pervading all of college football, the spread offense. So uh, Lavelle Edwards was an absolute magician. His quarterbacks, Jim McMahon, Mark Wilson, Ty Detmer won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, John Walsh beat OU in a bowl game, 31-6. They were up 31-0, and they were rolling. Um, But let's talk about this year's team. Keaton Slovis, former, I think, pretty sure five-star quarterback when I say that, recruit. Um, He's been around, right? He's been to a few places, USC and Pitt. He's at BYU. Um, He hasn't been able to stay healthy this year. 
Ryan, he's missed the last two full games. And in their last three games, they have been beaten 35-6 to Texas, 37-7 to West Virginia, and 45-13 to Iowa State. Did you get those three? Texas, West Virginia, and Iowa State. OU is not only 3-0 against those three. They've beaten them 34-30, 59-20, and 50-20. They've outscored those three teams. Oklahoma has 143-70. BYU was outscored by those three teams, 117-26. Here's the good thing. Jake Retzliff, the number one, former number one junior college quarterback recruit, he's back on the bench this week. Slovis is still a little banged up, but he's supposed to be healthy enough to play. Kalani Sataki said if he's ready to go, he's our guy. So I like it, Ryan. I think it's a good matchup. And the fans are crazy. I've got a number here. What is it? 260 and 85 is what BYU is at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. 260 and 85. That's a hell of a place to try to go in there and get a win. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. I'm stoked as just like a college football fan for the putting OU and BYU those logos beside each other, kicking off together, all that. This BYU team is awful. Like this version of them right now, they beat Texas Tech. You mentioned that Texas game where they got absolutely rolled. Slovis played that whole game. Uh, even before Slovis got hurt, like active conversations in Provo and Salt Lake where does he need to be benched? So it's not like he's some return. It's not the Dylan Gabriel returning against Kansas last year and suddenly Oklahoma's offense is a phoenix rising from the ashes. Uh, This is a team that ranks like 75 or lower in virtually every statistical category that matters in college football out of 130. And they've not had a pulse for three straight weeks. And I think that this game, this game was sold to BYU as it's senior day. We get Oklahoma. We get them one time in Provo. And that's why I think all year long we had just written to ourselves, like this is either going to be in prime time or the after dark game because BYU is going to want that atmosphere. This thing's kicking off at 10 a.m. local. Like I think that shows you every bit of like, yeah, we'll put you on ESPN or ABC, but you got to take the rooster kickoff because no one wants any part of this BYU team. And I, the most interesting thing is all Oklahoma storylines for me. Will we see the offense just, quote, be normal, right? Is is it going to do the normal thing? It looks like it's going to be about the same temperature at kickoff as it was in Lawrence, mid-40s. There's supposed to be some precipitation on Thursday and some precip Saturday night, Sunday morning. That was the same forecast in Lawrence that got shifted up. Do you get that? Outside of that, BYU can't stop anybody. BYU can't score. Like This should be, as far as road games go, other than deal with the altitude and a lot of fans who are there to support a really bad football, Like BYU stinks. They do. Here's one thing. B- most BYU fans are going to be just as drunk at 10 a.m. as they will be at 9 p.m. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> Am I right? Okay, so here's uh, OU, uh, Sorry, BYU is 104th in the country in scoring, uh, 91st in scoring defense. Not good. Uh, 113th in first downs, 98th in first downs allowed. 124th in rushing, 114th in rushing defense. It's not good. Uh, Passing yards per game, they are 85th. Passing defense, they are 76th. Total offense, 123rd. Total defense, 103rd. They got a pulse in uh, their their 
and really nothing. Like you said, sacks allowed. They they protect their quarterback pretty good, but that might not explain why he gets hit and hurt. I'm with you, Ryan. This team right now, they're they're struggling with what Brent Venables might call competitive depth. Right, they're struggling to take that step up from eleven years. Is it eleven years? I can't remember. Of independence, not having a conference, trying to run around the country and play as many good teams as they can, and fill in the blanks with everybody else. Now they're stepping up into Big Twelve play, and you see the results the last three weeks. Yeah, it's kind of like when you were projecting. This is what made I felt. I felt there were more unknowns about Oklahoma and Cincinnati than going to be unknowns about this game because of where it happens in the season, right? That those four teams making the jump up, they just weren't going to have the same depth. I think UCF after Cincinnati had their portal exits, UCF probably was the most, the closest roster resembling a power five roster as far as what they've been doing. Cause they have those Florida athletes they got dinged early. You saw they couldn't win a game without John Rice Plumley. It's been tough to touch and go with him. But getting BYU all the way at the end of the year, I, I think you're just seeing they're worn down. This is a group that um, I'm not sure if they would have brought the head coach back last year if they weren't entering a new conference just to have that kind of smooth transition. Like It's not like, They were a great team last year, just struggling with the Big 12 slate. And the quarterback play has been really bad. And when they can't run the football, like that, that's the one thing in this game. If Oklahoma, like if Ginger Williams doesn't go again, like he did last week, if Desama Cola doesn't go again, he was held out precautionary. Like Oklahoma's defense is most gettable through the air. I just don't have any faith in Slovis or any of the backups to, to come in and consistently over four quarters really make Oklahoma pay for that? Because that's like the one area where Oklahoma's defense, they give up yards mostly through the air. And yet I'll say this, Ryan, Kansas's defense wasn't any good either. Oklahoma State's defense wasn't any good either, right? And Oklahoma went up there and laid an egg twice. Um, One of them, like you said, in poor weather. The other one was fine. And both of those, to me, uh, I give credit to the teams, uh, KU and, and OSU, for playing, making the plays that they needed to, to make, uh, for taking it seriously, for preparing well. But to me, both of those games came down to what team Oklahoma brought out on the field. If they would have played better, if they would have not stumbled all over themselves, if they would have um, not jumped off sides a trillion times, like you said, uh, if they would have not had unforced turnovers – I think Oklahoma wins both of those games easily and uh, comfortably, not easily, but comfortably at the end of the end of the end of the game. So do they go back to Provo, bad weather, long trip, really the longest trip in the big 12. And do they make those mistakes again? That's the thing we have to ask. Yeah. And it, I, I don't think anyone's going to come on here with certainty and say, Oh yes, Oklahoma's not going to turn the ball over. Cause when they've, gone on the road they've had issues whether it be Dylan Gabriel fumbling in the red zone in Cincinnati uh not a road game but Oklahoma special teams miscues in the Cotton Bowl Lawrence Stillwater I think any of those need to be rehashed you know it really just Tulsa is the only one they haven't that has been pretty smooth sailing but for Oklahoma this is so much about focus the same stuff they were talking about last week execute early 
to one, nerf the crowd, right? Try to take them out of it. Make that BYU sideline go, here we go again. We've got our doors beat in three straight weeks. This is about to be week number four. Oklahoma has everything within that locker room if they just play a clean game to blow BYU out. And they need that because you get the backups in the game in the fourth quarter that's less wear and tear for turnaround on a short week to try to close the season out on a high against TCU. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be moved up a day, right? Because because it's a Friday, Black Friday game instead of Saturday. Like All of that, you can make the most of the toughest situation you have on your schedule as far as a quick turnaround if you come out, don't turn the ball over. Just get downhill. Gavin Sachuk has a similar running game like he had a week ago. All that stuff. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see because if Oklahoma fools around, even if they win this game, they're just going to make the turnaround for next week that much harder on themselves because everyone's going to be one quarter more beaten up for the quick turnaround to play TCU. Yeah, you're right. A couple of quick pitches for you. You guys are going to want to hear this. Um, great, great interview Monday we had with Jonah Laulu. He's got tons of family who live in Utah. He says he's going to have 30, 40 people there at the BYU game. He said he goes to Utah a lot every year for snowboarding. <laughs> six foot six, 293 pound Jonah Laulu on, on a snowboard. I want to see pictures. I want to see video. Uh, he said he goes to Brighton, which is really close, kind of in between Provo and Salt Lake City. So what I would recommend you guys do is watch that interview. He's laughing. He's joking. He's like bending over and, and, you know, like laughing so hard that he has to slap his knee. I'm serious. He is cracking up at some of the stories he's telling about snowboarding. So watch that interview and check out my story from this morning, please, at allsooners.com. Jonah Laulu, absolute legend in the uh, Monday night interviews. And then coming up later in the week, I'm going to try and have it ready for tomorrow. I'm going to try and turn it around for tomorrow morning. I'm going to have a story on Colby Clawson. Who's that? Who the heck is Colby Clawson? Well, some of you guys already know that name. He's the BYU linebacker who wrecked Sam Bradford's shoulder in their game at Jerry World in 2009. I spoke with him this morning for about 20 minutes, and I'm telling you, if he didn't have such a cool, super important job of taking care of BYU football players, which isn't going to be in the story, I swear we could have talked for two hours. Uh, an amazing conversation, a great interview, a very engaging person. Um, and uh, he said he feel, he has, for all these years, felt bad about injuring Sam, but he has said he's glad he got paid. <laughs> he didn't, didn't affect his earning potential. He got drafted number one and got a $50 million signing bonus and all that guaranteed money. So I will have that for you tomorrow at allsooners.com. Ryan, any uh, any thoughts on uh, previous games you might have watched between OU and BYU? That's that's how you do it. Well, there's only one on the table because uh, I was not on this <laughs> earth for the Copper Bowl, but I was up close and personal in the stands for that one. That was the uh, the first football game ever played at Jerry World, not the first sporting event. That honor goes to, of course, as you all know by now, Chelsea Football Club and Club America played in a summer soccer tour in Jerry World uh, a couple months before Oklahoma and BYU squared off. But that was the first football game. Not a Dallas Cowboys Monday nighter against the Giants or anything like that. It was OU, BYU, and only the second time those two teams ever played. Yeah, first American football game. There was a concert there a few nights before. Do you remember who it was? Uh, I do not. 
I can't say for sure, but I, my memory for some reason, very faulty. My memory is like Garth Brooks. It's Garth Brooks. I'm not sure it was Garth Brooks. I don't, I don't know if it was or not. Should have been, we should just rewrite it. Actually, Taylor Swift kicked off the Eras tour the night before OU and BYU played. And she's been <laughs> on the Eras tour ever since. <laughs> That's what we're going to start here on the All Sooners podcast. That's a good rumor. Good uh, good stuff, Ryan. Thanks for uh, fighting through again, man. We're glad to have you back. Absolutely. And hey, basketball season's kicking up. It'll be getting going a lot more next weekend. Uh, during the feast week, Thanksgiving week, Oklahoma heads out to San Diego. First game against Iowa. Then they'll meet. That's on Thanksgiving Day, I believe. I'm sure my fan will be stoked for that. Then they'll play either Seton Hall or USC the next day. So Porter Morser's crew has been really impressive. I haven't played anybody, but they've been really impressive. And uh, that thing will get going. And Ginny Bronchek's girls are uh, in the top 25 after a big win at Ole Miss. So, how uh, is how is OU ranked 25 after a win? Uh, was it a double digit win at Ole Miss? And Ole Miss is ranked 23. Yeah, I think it was uh, our old friend. And this is where Nuri Ryan gets to come out. The the great thought of pull inertia where if you start at 10 it's easier to get to one it also harder to fall all the way out Oklahoma started unranked has that win so for them to jump all the way in they got to jump to 20 to 25 whereas Ole Miss it takes all this to now everyone's like well they lost to a ranked team because I just ranked them right it's it's silly uh it's the same reason you saw like Colorado jump from like 20 to in the top five after beating LSU's because they were like I guarantee you if Colorado was unranked instead of 20th, they would not be the fifth team in the country or whatever it is merely off of beating LSU. So uh, Jenny Bronchek, she scheduled that non-conference pretty difficult. So they'll have more opportunities. They're playing Tennessee uh, here in a couple of weeks. Don't remember exactly when that one falls. So a couple more marquee spots for Oklahoma to earn that respect on the hardwood before they hit big 12 play. Porter and them boys beat Texas state last night by about 40. Um, 39. Yes. 39. They're really, I think, I don't know how really good they are, but they're really fun to watch. They're athletic. If they can put the ball in the basket, they're going to be tough. They're going to be a tough out in the big 12. Yeah. It, they're not going to have the issues of um, just wilting. Like I went back and looked and they were either two and five or two and seven. Um, I don't remember if it was two and five and seven games overall or, or two and seven uh, in ga- big 12 games that were within one score at the under four timeout a year mm. ago. That was something that killed them two years ago as well. They've got a bigger presence in John Hughley who can rebound and all that linked athleticism and more of it. They've got three juniors and seniors that come off the bench now instead of three freshmen being thrown mm-hmm. in there. I know Porter Moser is really excited about that, but I'm kind of in wait and see. I think we'll learn a lot more about them next week during Feast Week uh, with not a world beater Iowa team or anything like that, but just some Power 5 competition. Ryan, we'll see you in Salt Lake City. Beautiful. See you tomorrow, boss. All right. This segment of the All Sooners podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait to do this. Do it right now because whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, or living trust, just let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio. Those guys will get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just check out their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com.
Sooners.com. Coming up next, we're going to hit recruiting. You better believe it. That's with Randall. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. All right, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, like the podcast. We really appreciate it. Give us a like, drop us a rating, give us a five-star rating because we're five-star talent, right? No? Okay, give us a five-star rating anyway. We'd like those. Uh, Share us on social media if you can. And certainly if you're on the YouTube channel, John Hoover Media, like and subscribe there as well. And leave us a comment. Um, Some of those comments I'm able to get to. Some of them I remove. But you know who you are. If I remove your comment, there's a reason for it. There's a really good reason for it. All right. Randall has joined us. Randall, the recruiting expert. We'll get to recruiting in just a minute. We're going to start with, since he was down there on the sideline at the West Virginia game, we're going to let him put a bow on the West Virginia game from his perspective. What do you think of that complete performance by uh, OU against the Mountaineers? Well, I, you said it. It was a very complete performance. I mean, OU finally got the ground game going. I mean, I shouldn't say finally. That's kind of three weeks in a row that they've been able to get the ground game going. They're getting there. Um, but had the ground game going, obviously Dylan Gabriel with a historic performance. I mean, Drake Stoops, Nick Anderson, both looked really good in the passing game. Uh, Defensively, another goal line stand. Uh, And after that first drive, uh, the OU defense really um, tightened up and and played with a lot of ferocity. Um, So I think that if you're an OU fan, that that performance has to give you uh, some hope heading into the rest of the season. Um, The Sooners and West and uh, Mountaineers are Always a chippy game for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean, we talked about that on the podcast, but it goes back to the, uh, what was it, 2017? Uh, I mean, even before that. So that that was entertaining. That that did not change this year, obviously, as you could see. I'm sure from all the videos on Twitter, but being down there on the field, it was really uh, really the entire game. There was some chippiness, but uh, good atmosphere. I thought OU fans um, did a good job of showing out for that game, especially after uh, two consecutive losses. Um, you know, they, they, they made a really lively environment. I think that there's plenty of recruits there, and I think that those people were really impressed. So, uh, and OU kind of checked all the boxes on Saturday. Yeah, OU had a lot of uh, commits that were there, and I thought it was a perfect night weather-wise. It was a perfect uh, performance by the team. You know, everybody was – and there was, a, there was a little bit, like you said, chippiness, a little bit of a fight in the end zone. Got everybody's yeah. kind of dander up a little bit, right? Got the recruits that were there were like, yeah, this is this is where I want to be. I think they had a, probably a really good time. And, and, you know, teammates sticking up for each other, you know, it kind of yeah. shows that, that family atmosphere that recruits that players always talk about at OU. Uh, you know, obviously, President Harris fist bumping uh, McCade Matoyer as he's walking off the field. I think that uh, – all of that kind of went into it, played into a really cool atmosphere for, especially yeah. if you're a high school football player recruit. It's probably something really fun to see. I'm pretty sure Brent Venable said, "You see that guy right over there? That guy fist pumping as he's going, as he's been ejected." 
that's your president. Yeah. That's the president of the university. That's the guy that's going to be in charge when you're here as a recruit. Venable, that's a great selling point. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, BYU. I'm guessing you've you've never been to Tulsa. You've never been to Stillwater. I'm guessing you've never been to Utah. Uh, no, 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 no. Not much. Not <laughs> much experience in Utah. So tell me about it. Tell me about, uh, you know, we're going to be, you're getting there a little bit later than me and Ryan, but I think our runaround day is going to be on Friday because it's going to rain all day Thursday. We, we're going out on Thursday to uh, to see the sights and to have a have a half a personal day or whatever you want to call it. And it's supposed yeah. to rain all day, uh, <laughs> but we're going to be there on Friday as well. We'll have all of our stuff posted at allsooners.com. We'll have an ear to the to the railroad, so to speak. We'll have an ear to the ground kind of picking up on the news that's happening. But, but we're going to be up sightseeing in the mountains on Friday, man. I, I'm, I'm stoked. I don't know about you, but I am stoked. I, I'm really excited too. I mean, Cincinnati, I thought was a really cool road trip because we got to see some cool stuff, some places I'd never been. Now, this is a, a amazing road trip for another reason. I mean, you know, we get to see beautiful, uh, I would assume mountains. Again, I've never been to Utah. So I'm assuming there'll be some amazing, uh, uh, scenery there. I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what it's all about. I've heard great things. I've heard it's really beautiful. So I'm excited to see it for myself. Yeah. The, the mountains are like, here's the stadium, right? And the mountains are like right behind it. So I, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait. I don't know if you can see them from the field, but you can certainly see them from the press box. Well, if you can see them from the field, I have to try to incorporate that into some of my highlights. Uh, that'd be yes. some pretty fun shots to get, to the, get the wide angle pan yeah, yeah. Into, the, into the touchdown pass right before, you yes. know, the, artistic oh, i'll have to get there the a few hours early to practice <laughs> sounds good warm up um all right let's talk about recruiting oh you landed their latest commit last friday night you were there you videoed the commit you uh got highlights from him you talked to him afterwards um tell us all about alex shield night well i think that ou fans are really going to love alex shield night um this is a hard-working kid small town oklahoma which i think always rings in well with the fan base but a really, really physical player. I mean, even when he was playing offense at tight end, uh, not afraid to get in there and mix it up with the defensive linemen, the linebackers. Uh, he is listed at 6'4", 235. He looks every bit of 235. I mean, this kid is really, really well built, especially for a junior in high school. Uh, one thing that was, I think OU fans will also like to hear is that he, he said that he chose now to commit because he wanted to make sure that by the time next January rolled around, he was graduated from high school and ready to enroll at OU early. Um, and so, so that was that was a real big motivator for him committing so early is because he wanted to get to Norman early. He wanted to be part of that early enrollee group that, you know, really gives those players an advantage to learn the playbook, learn, uh, you know, life in college football, and just get more experience in the weight room with, you know, uh, Jerry Schmidt, you know, that, that strength and conditioning staff. Um, but again, a kid who is very well built. He is a very hard worker. Uh, offers from you know Tennessee, Arkansas, some other big SEC schools. Um, he told me he grew up as an OU fan. He said that uh, he went to one OU game and it was uh, OU versus Ohio State in Norman. Maybe not the best fan, maybe not the best game to go to if you're an OU fan. But nonetheless, uh, he seems pretty excited to to be in Norman. And uh, he he said that his relationship with Coach V, with uh, you know Coach Chavis, the defensive line group that that is really just unmatched. That's what led him to OU. And I mean, I feel so redundant saying that, 
But I feel like every single recruit I talk to, I say, what sets OU apart? And they say the relationships I've been able to build with Coach V, with Coach Chavis, with Coach Bates. Nigel Smith told me the exact same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. count, I mean that's, that's what I hear over and over again from these recruits. So I know it sounds redundant. Maybe fans don't like to keep hearing that. Uh, but I think that the staff is just really, really good at building relationships, showing parents, student athletes, everyone involved that they obviously care about the football side of things and that they're really focused on that. But even off the field, uh, that, that, that this team is um, focused on growing these football players into young men. I think that that rings really well with parents. And I think that the type of players that the Venables regime is trying to recruit, that means a lot to them. And so uh, I think that that's why the Sooners have had success recruiting players like that. On the field, I mean, Alex Shield Knight was a complete game wrecker. Uh, I don't think Broken Bow completed a pass until like maybe the second half, pretty close to halftime at least. Um, they scored seven points in the entire game. Uh, I don't think he actually had any QB sacks, but he, was, he had multiple QB hits, dragging the, the quarterback down, and they were hard hits. I mean, you know, as as my coach would say, the remember me hits, uh, you know, where you know you make that the quarterback, the running back, you know, he's thinking about you next time he gets the ball. I uh, made a few tackles for loss. He really he impacted the game at tight end. Um, caught caught a fifty eight yard pass, I think, like the second play from scrimmage. Then the next play or two plays later, caught a touchdown. Uh, later in the game, he was kind of playing an H back role, and they handed off the ball to him, and he ran into the end zone. Um, now again, he is playing defensive line at OU, but I think that uh, him playing tight end, being so successful, that just shows the versatility of the athleticism. And um, again, in a, in a game where the other teams may be able to drop back and throw the ball a little more, you'd see that some of those pass rushing still, skills come to fruition. Yeah, that's a good point. My favorite part of the story uh, from Friday night uh, when Alex Shield Knight committed, we talked about it at the top, and that was uh, it was a big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma. Bunch of visits, bunch of commits, bunch of people on campus taking their visits, official visits, unofficial visits. Alex Shield Knight said, "Nope, sorry, can't make it. I got to go duck hunting." I meant, I meant to mention that. I was going to say, if he, if OU fans did not already love this guy, this, <laughs> that's what's going to be the, the cherry on top. I mean, he, I think it was Eddie Radosevich asked him, when are you coming to Norman next? And he said, I don't know, but not tomorrow. Got to go duck hunting. So if, if they get, okay, so if they get him and they get Grant Bricks, the offensive lineman from Iowa, you talk about a couple of country boys yeah. through and through, they're going to be roommates. That's my prediction. If, and, and if Bricks commits to OU. And you know, the thing is, is maybe it sounds stereotypical, but those you want those country boys on the trenches. I mean, that that's where yeah. those guys thrive. And and I think that, you know, that nastiness, that physicality, that hard work, uh, again, maybe it's country toughness. strength. Toughness. That's that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, toughness. It all yeah. All that shows up in the trenches, and I think that both of those guys have it. Yep. All right, so what's the latest on Bricks? Well, he uh, was in Norman this weekend, saw a picture uh, that confirmed that uh, in case anyone needed proof. Um, it's on it's on Twitter. Go find it. But uh, from what I, I understood, really, really enjoyed his visit to Norman. Again, um, was able to, as we've heard with uh, plenty of other recruits, was able to talk to Coach Biedenboe, uh, kind of build that relationship. I know that he he already was super close with, with Coach Biedenboe, super close with Coach Schmidt, um, the strength and conditioning coach. So, uh, obviously, being in Norman, he was able to strengthen those relationships uh, in person. And then on top of that, I mean, OU putting up 59 points, probably their best offensive performance of the season, yep. given uh, the caliber of opponent and the way that they played. Um, so that's obviously going to impress. And then I think it, people may say it doesn't matter, but the other school that Bricks was heavily is heavily considering, Nebraska, uh, they lost 13-10 to 10 at home to Maryland. 
Um, so I, I don't know exactly how much one week will play into this very high four-star recruits commitment. But again, when he's nearing the end of the line, this is what's fresh in his memory. Nebraska scoring 10 points in a loss versus OU scoring 59 points in a win, uh, a game that he's at, a night game, again, where we saw McCade Matoyer get showered with praise. You know, he was kind of the, one of the heroes of the night, yeah. an offensive lineman. Um, and so, and even even on the field, Matoyer, the rest of that offensive line, they were moving people. They played great. Jacob Sexton, a young guy, was in the game. Caden Green, a young guy, was in the game. And so I think also showing Bricks that, you know, look, these guys are really young. They're making an impact. Not only are they just playing, but they're playing really well and they're making an impact. So that, that could be you, you know, come get this coaching, come, you know, potentially play early. Uh, we'll put you in the position to succeed. So I think all that played out really well with bricks. Uh, think about it. What you just said, true freshman in the starting lineup and has been in the starting lineup, sophomore making his first career home start after starting in the bowl game last year. Right. Uh, when Anton Harrison opted out, uh, both those guys, Grant bricks, I'm sure is very well aware were made captains this week for the BYU game. Yep. And, and I mean, again, that I think that there's some strategy to that. I mean, obviously those uh-huh. two are, are good players, so they're, they've earned that for themselves. But I do think that it also shows, look, you, you know, you don't have to come and sit until you're a senior. If you're ready to play, and we'll put you in the position to where you're ready to play. We'll give you the coaching. We'll give you the strength and conditioning. And if you have the ability to go take that opportunity, then it's there for you. Um, and I think that that for a guy, obviously, I don't think that OU's promising Grant Bricks anything. That does not seem like Bill Biedenboe's style to me. Uh, right. But I do, I do think that um, seeing that the opportunity is there, that he will have the opportunity to work towards that goal. Um, again, with the relationship he's built at OU, with the success that they were kind of able to have getting back on track, I think that all signs are really, really positive for Grant Bricks right now. OU's going to have to close out, of course. Nebraska's not going to give up. They're really close. A lot more local to him, but I, I do think that after this weekend, OU is in the driver's seat. All right. Among the other visitors that were on campus last week, there was another former Michigan State commit who has since decommitted from the Spartans. Tell us about him. Yeah, Cameron Campbell. So, uh, you know, Eli Bowen is also committed to OU in the 2024 class. Cameron Campbell's kind of a, the, a polar opposite style of player. Uh, he's six one. He's really long, super athletic. I mean. 47 second 400 which if you know track that's moving that's fine uh, yeah and so so long fast i mean it's from florida this is kind of the guy that jay Valai, that this defensive staff seems like they would take a chance on not rated very highly but when you factor in his athleticism his size the the potential the is through the roof uh and again i think that at this point in the class ou's kind of um with that defensive backroom just taking all the guys that they think are good enough and saying when you get here, battle it out. I mean, you've got Eli Bowen, who I mentioned. You've got Michael Patterson McDonald. You've got, I think there's already seven defensive back commits in the class after getting Reggie uh, Powers a few weeks ago. So now, um, you know, fighting for another guy, it's going to be creating a crowded room. But if those guys get to OU, if they do all end up getting to OU, then it's just going to create competition and the cream rises to the top, right? Um, but for Campbell specifically, uh, I think it helped this weekend that former Michigan State commit and current OU commit Reggie Powers was also on campus. Uh, so mm-hmm. again, both of those guys were committed to Michigan State, decommitted in September. Uh, now one's committed to OU. One was on campus this weekend. I think that that's going to uh, really help, again, that um, having another former Michigan State commit there, someone he knows. Um, and th- th- this is someone that I think that 
that you would really love to have again the length the athleticism that's just you don't find guys like that very often and OU continues to recruit that Tampa Orlando area which they've been really really hot on on the trail there recently uh, sorry I, I almost forgot too. speaking of Tampa uh offensive lineman Eddie Pierre Louis in the 2024 class we we're talking about Grant Bricks mm-hmm. uh it feels like OU may have moved on from Pierre Louis uh it doesn't seem like that's going to go their way anymore so uh, makes it even more important to land Grant Bricks. Yeah, good, uh, good, good point. There were some 2025s uh, on campus as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most notably Nate Roberts. Uh, so I think in-state OU fans will definitely know that name. Uh, the star tight end at Washington High School. Uh, one of the top two tight ends in the whole country. One of the top 60 players in the nation. Uh, this is someone that OU would love to have. I mean, when OU missed out on him, originally because he committed to Notre Dame over the summer. Uh, that was I know that was a big, big loss for them. That was something that they were really feeling uh, at the moment. Uh, OU fans kind of tried to, you know, mask it and say, well, I mean, it's because we were making room for Devon Mitchell. But, uh, I mean, I, I think at this point OU's realized that there's no reason they can't go grab both of those guys. They're in different recruiting classes. Yeah. Nate Roberts has been a guy who over the summer has worked out with Kevin Sperry, with Elijah Thomas, who are in his class, both committed to OU. Um, Jaden Nickens is a guy who he's played in the state championship game before. Good chance that they'll see each other in the state championship game again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that he's got a good connection with the other guys in the 2025 class. He's been to Norman multiple times this fall. So it's a great, great sign, but OU, they still have their work cut out for him. Uh, Nate Roberts was also in, in, uh, at Penn state this fall. He was also in, in uh, Columbus to visit Ohio state. So uh, it's not not cut and dry just because he's from right down the road in Washington, even though I think Washington is only like 20 minutes from Norman. Um, so, oh, you got their work cut out for him. The fact that he was on campus again. And, hey, <laughs> we mentioned it earlier in the season when Devon Mitchell was coming to campus. We thought Stockton would have a big game then. Turns out it was just delayed a few weeks. Uh, he had a he had a pretty solid game with uh, Roberts on campus. And so I think that, uh, that you know, that's a good, good uh, sign for Joe John Finley and company to kind of point out and see, say, look, when you're here, imagine what we could do with you in that role, you know? Um, and so I think the coaches listen to the podcast. I, I, I think I, we gave them the idea. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, if Joe John, if you're listening, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, really I've seen Nate Roberts play. I mean, he's a tremendous athlete for a kid who's six, five, two thirty five already as a junior in high school. Um, and so if, if OU is able to get him on campus and play him in that role, he'd be super versatile. I mean, catching passes, running downfield. Obviously, Stogner did, did a great job of that on Saturday specifically. Uh, and just I think that um, the OU coaches are trying to tell Roberts, now imagine if this was you with your athleticism, with what you can do with the ball in your hands. And then also in the in the 2025 class, uh, Max Granville from the Houston area, Fort Bend Christian Academy. Um, you know, a smaller, quicker edge rusher. I think he's about 6'3", 220 right now. But, I mean... The weight has not been an issue. Alabama has offered uh, multiple other big schools as a four-star recruit. Uh, and from, from what I understand, he really, really likes OU. Uh, getting to be in Norman this weekend, while the defensive line may not have recorded a sack, but that defense did perform really well. Seeing the way that the not only the, the team got excited, but the entire stadium erupted when OU got that goal line stand. I mean, the music started playing. The fans were jumping up and down. The players were running and onto the field, jumping and congratulating each other, stuff like that. When you're able to see the buy-in um, from, from the team, I think that that really um, 
will we'll play well with recruits. Again, especially a guy who is pretty close from the Houston area and seemed to already like OU. And then finally in the 2025 class, the the offered guys was um, CJ Jim Coyley, who has been to Norman before. He was in uh, at the Brent Venables camp this summer, uh, and he performed really well there, uh, was able to stick with some of the top receivers. Big, big defensive back. He's already 6'3", 200 pounds, again, as a junior in high school. So uh, guys like that are not, not – uh, you don't come across every day. He plays for Lipscomb Academy, which if you know national high school football is one of the top – uh, high school football programs in America, one of the best teams in Tennessee pretty regularly. Um, so uh, Caleb Beasley, who uh, OU offered and tried to get in the 2024 class, also from Lipscomb Academy. Uh, there's a few other offers on that team. But Jim Coyley specifically is a guy that I've talked to. Uh, he has a really good relationship with Coach Valai. He says he talks to them pretty – he says he talks to the OU coaching staff uh, pretty regularly. Uh, and after the Texas game, he told me that uh, – you know, he kind of kept tabs on OU. That game really opened his eyes, and he said after that game, he OU was definitely getting a visit from him. Well, came to fruition this past weekend. From what I understood, seems like uh, he enjoyed himself, and uh, I think that again, long way to go, but I think that OU uh, may be in the driver's seat as of right now with him. Interesting. Okay, what about? Um, oh shoot, what was I gonna? What was I gonna ask you? Um, Oh, uh, the running back, 2025 running back, dropped his yeah. top three on uh, this week. Yeah, Harlem Berry. So Harlem Berry is the number one running back in the 2025 class, which, uh, you know, maybe if you thought DeMarco Murray was able to pull off magic in 2024, he'd be able to do it again in 2025. Unfortunately, after Berry, I think, put OU in his top five or top eight, one of his top schools list, um, cut that list and announced his commitment date um, last week or not last week, this week, mm-hmm. and uh, OU is not in that top three. So Texas, LSU, and Florida, which <laughs> if you're OU, uh, kind of have to be shaking your fist at that. That's three future conference opponents. Um, but again, uh, in 2024, landing the top running back, also landing Xavier Robinson, bringing Andy Bass. You've already got a top five running back committed in 2026. Feels like right now uh, that running back room could get a little crowded, especially with the freshmen they have on campus now, Dalen Smothers, Caleb Hicks. Yeah. Um Javante Barnes didn't didn't see the field much this year. He'll probably stick stick around at least not going to the draft. Uh, Gavin Sawcheck's going to be on campus for at least one or two more years, you'd expect. Uh, so that running back room could get crowded. Probably hard to fit the number one running back in 2025 after you also landed the number one running back in 2024. But again, if you're you, of course, you'd, it'd be nice to have those guys. Uh, he'll pick between Texas, LSU, and Florida in December. A couple of guys dropped their top not finalists because they, they're going to keep paring it down because um, that's uh, that's the way the system works. But uh, one dropped his top four, one dropped his top 12. And uh, OU came up favorably in both. Yeah, so we'll go with the top 12 first. Myron Charles, a 2025 defensive lineman, uh, six foot four, 295 pounds, big, big dude from Florida. Um, and I, I think I mentioned before the podcast, I, th- I feel like half the SEC is in his uh, top 12. So uh, OU, again, plenty of work to do. This is a guy who has got offers from all over the country. He's a top 150 player. Um, Again, those big physical defensive linemen like that, not easy to come by, so everybody wants them. Um, But OU's recruited Florida really well recently. Um, Heading into the SEC, they'll have a a better chance to continue to recruit well in the Southeast. Um, And I I mean, I think with 
you know, you can look at what they've done with a guy like Dejon Terry with some of their interior defensive linemen this year and kind of point to a guy like that and say, look at the role you could be playing. Uh, I mean, you could be in on these goal line stands. You could be doing things like that. So uh, we're going to have to continue to feel, to build that defensive resume. But I think that uh, at least at the moment, they're they're in the mix. They're in the top 12 um, for Myron Charles. Again, probably going to be hard to pull a guy from Florida away from Florida State, from Miami, from some of those other places. But they've done it before. It's not impossible. Yep. And then Jacaden Ferguson, a 2025 wide receiver from the Houston area, uh, released his top four, and that included Oklahoma, Oregon, Tennessee, and Houston. Uh, right now, I've heard some rumblings that Houston may be in the lead there. Uh, again, this is a three-star wide receiver from the Houston area, so that's not uh, completely shocking. But um, I think that OU may be looking at him uh, to see if you know if they don't land on a guy like Andrew Marsh, if they can't land a guy like Isaiah Mazzee, uh, six foot two, Jacaden Ferguson, who has an uncle who spent time at AM and eight years in the NFL. It's not a bad option to, to take in that class, especially when you've already got three, four star wide receivers in Elijah Thomas, in Grayson Harris, and in Jaden Nickens. Uh, Jacaden Ferguson's a big play threat. He's athletic. He, again, six foot two, he's tall. Um, so if, if the Sooners are able to bring him in, then I think that um, th- that would obviously be a great pickup. Emmett Jones uh, knows what he wants in, in those receivers. But I also think that if, if he does end up committing to OU, that it is a sign that maybe Mazzee or Marsh is probably not going to end up in that 2025 mm-hmm. class for the Sooners. Uh, but he's announcing his commitment on January 2nd, so uh, plenty of time between now and then. Uh, or I, January 4th, I don't know, sometime in early January, 2nd or 4th. Um, and so OU will know more then, uh, but I think that uh, I think that right now Houston's probably the leader for him. Interesting. Yeah, if uh, if Mosey picks uh, Oregon, that might uh, that might be an indicator. Um, team rankings as of right now, we we'll try to get these in where we can. Uh, rivals, OU is number six. Twenty four seven Sports, OU is number seven. On three, OU is number nine. So that has not changed in the last couple of three weeks. Uh, what has changed is, if I'm not mistaken, Rivals has OU number four in the 2025 class. So they've got eight commits already in 25. Is that right? That's uh, they're staying pretty busy. Yes, they are. And I mean, again, we, we just talked about a few 2025 guys who um, are making decisions soon. Some guys who are in on campus. So that, that list could be growing very quickly. Um, and again, I, I think that, um, that now that OU's built a really solid base in the local 2025 class, I think that now is when you start expanding to that national reach. Uh, again, you've locked up a lot of the top 2025s in Oklahoma. I think the one guy that they're still working on in-state is Tristan Haynes, yeah. um, and that that's a, probably the best guy in the state in 2025 on defense. Uh, got offers from Alabama, all over the country. You know, big-time guy, top 200, top 150 player, depending on where you look. Um, but it, it seems like OU leads for him. Again, uh He's got four teammates committed to Oklahoma, so uh, OU's already done a pretty good job of locking up Carl Albert. But uh, I think that once they, once if they're able to close on Tristan Haynes, then I think after that, that's when you really start to make that national recruiting push, start focusing on the guys out of state, uh, things like that. Because again, at that point, if Tristan Haynes does end up on board, you'd have nine commits. Uh, I think five or six of them would be from Oklahoma, a few from Texas, Missouri. You know, a lot of local kids. Good stuff, Randall. Anything else to wrap up uh, the recruiting cycle? Uh, still waiting on uh, OU to offer a 2026 quarterback. I- I'm very puzzled as to why that has not happened yet. Um, hmm. There's plenty of good ones out there. Uh, they've brought kids on campus who have plenty of offers. Um, I don't know. It- it's really interesting. I 
this is kind of uh, uncharted territory for what, what we've seen with Jeff Levy and company. I mean, they haven't been yeah. there very long. They identified Sperry early, Hawkins early, uh, but those guys were kind of, um, again, right when they got here. Well, I have a thought on that. Okay. What if Jeff, what if Jeff Levy's holding on to his offers, holding them close to the vest, because he thinks he's going to get offered a head coaching job this year? I think that that's a, that's a possibility, and um, I think that while OU fans, a lot of them have called for Jeff Levy's head uh, before yeah, that West happen. Virginia game, which, right, not going to happen. But my my point in saying that is if Jeff Levy goes, there's no nothing assuring that you keep uh, not only – I mean, people may say Jackson Arnold, but not only Jackson Arnold, Michael Hawkins. And yeah. Kevin Sperry is the real, real key there. He and Jeff Levy are very close. I mean, he moved to Oklahoma just to be closer to OU and Jeff Levy. They've yeah. got a great relationship. He's the style of quarterback that Jeff Levy loves to play with. I mean, he really fits that similar Dylan Gabriel mold as a player. Uh, and so I think that that if you're an OU fan, if you want to hang on to Kevin Sperry, then keeping Jeff Levy around is probably the best chance to do that. I think that that's a really great point, that if, if Jeff Levy was offered a head coaching job, that maybe then you'd see those 26 offers go out. But, he, but maybe he is holding on to his cards until – he knows more clearly whether he will or won't be doing that. He's recruiting the heck out of them quarterbacks. Jeff Levy much more likely to get a raise than he is to get fired. Trust me on that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like you said, two four-star quarterbacks in the same in back-to-back classes. He was able to land a second quarterback in the 2024 class and a guy that's pretty talented in Brendan Zerbrug. Uh, I mean, obviously, 59 points last week. I agree with you. I don't think that. Uh, his head's going to be on an axe, but uh, I do think that uh, the head coaching uh, thing is a possibility depending on what becomes available. Yeah, and he he strikes me as the kind of guy that might just take something as it opens. He just wants to be a head coach. He just wants to run his own program, even if it's a mid-major or a minor program. He strikes me as the kind of guy that thinks he's ready to do that, and that will be his first step to becoming a major head coach because those jobs um, don't open all the time, those really good ones like Texas A&M, for instance. Right. He's not going to be offered that job, obviously, but uh, to get that job, to be a guy that gets that job, you, you first you have to be a successful coach at UTSA, for instance, right, or somewhere else, Louisiana Tech or whatever. So, so, so something that's interesting in that, um, you know, yesterday I think we kind of talked about uh, who Mississippi State was interviewing. And while, again, don't think Jeff Levy's probably right for that job, right. who they hire could affect Jeff Levy. If Caldwell leaves Liberty, heads to Mississippi State, Liberty's head coaching job is open. What if they call up Jeff Levy? Is that uh-huh. the type of job that he takes? Uh, because that's the type of school you mentioned, that mid-major, that UTSA-level program where right. you can have mid-major success uh, and then get plucked by a bigger school. So I think, and I'm not necessarily saying Liberty specifically, but... If sure. a smaller school like that does get their head coach plucked for the Mississippi State job, that could be the type of role that Jeff Levy takes. I mean, even think back to UCF. If their head coach gets plucked, is that a guy that that uh, is that a job that Jeff Levy would like? Uh, it's just stuff to think about. Yeah, and uh, while there would be people in this fan base would be saying hooray, celebrating the the fact that Jeff Levy is gone and they're upset with his play calling, how can you undersell? the recruiting job that he's yeah. done with some of these okay. quarterbacks, getting them early, getting them in, getting them on board. And then they start recruiting. Those guys start recruiting mm-hmm. their, their teammates. Yeah. This value to the program goes way beyond calling plays on Saturdays. Yes. hundred percent. And I mean, 
again, not only recruiting those guys, but building those relationships. I mean, yep. like I, like we said, not only did he get Kevin Sperry to commit really early, I think Kevin Sperry was a sophomore when he committed to OU. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Sperry moved to Oklahoma. He moved from DFW to Oklahoma. I mean, that's because he wants more coaching from Lebby. Right. Exactly. I mean, be around Lebby wants to watch film with Lebby every day. Right. I mean, him and Michael Hawkins were at multiple of the Brent Venables camps to work with Lebby to get coaching from Lebby. Yeah. Uh, I, I I agree. You cannot be understated the relationship that he has in the recruiting world with these quarterbacks. And I think that uh, I mean I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. I think that uh, if he does stay at OU, that in the twenty six class and you know going forward, that he's still going to probably continue to recruit quarterbacks well in those classes too. Yeah, Brian Venable is going to have to open the uh, checkbook, pay him, get him paid this year. I think he's making around one point eight million. Yeah, that'll um, go. Well. Probably going to have to exceed two next year. Yep, especially if some of these head coaching jobs do become open, yeah. just to keep, just to, to have the potential to keep them on campus, you're going to have price to. your offensive coordinator out of a mid-major coaching job. That's how yeah. that's how it's done. That's how Nick Saban has has been able to keep guys around, and then when they're ready for a big job, they take it and they make the big money. Yep, simple as that. Right. Hey, man, good stuff. Really appreciate it, Randall. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Hoof. See you in Utah tomorrow. You bet. We'll see you tomorrow in the mountains of Utah. Can't wait. I want to thank you guys for listening as well. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. And don't forget the post-game podcast Saturday night from the press box after the BYU game because it is certified fresh. You can find those podcasts and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you listen on an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And don't forget, over on YouTube, all of our shows are posted there on my channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.